I like to collect things. Vintage cameras, snow globes, little sculptures from places I travel to. But lately it's been these Nika action figures of slasher killers from the movies. I have Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers, Ghostface. It's kind of weird how I love them so much. The villains of the story, the murderers. Why is that? Why is it that we have action figures and posters and board games and video games all about the killers and not about the survivors, the final girls? It's a bizarre phenomenon. At first I thought maybe it's because of the backstories or the paranormal element to some of them, but then again you see a familiar fascination with serial killers. Maybe nobody's dressing up as Ed Kemper for a costume party, but people do make tasteless t-shirts develop podcasts and TikToks and documentary series and movies all about these real-life murderers, and we eat it up. I watch any movie that comes out about Charlie Manson, no matter how terrible it is, and Mindhunter is kind of the murderer hall of fame, seeing them all together in one big serial killer celebration. Please, Fincher, bring it back. But let's get back to the fiction. A few weeks ago, I posted in a horror writers group that I'm a part of, looking for a brand new take on the retro slasher and what author Tom Coombs sent me made me hoot and holler when I read it. I mean, the killer he came up with, I want an action figure of him right now to put on my shelf, but I won't spoil it for you. We'll get to his story in a moment, followed by a conversation where I'll be joined with Haunting Season's very own Cody of the Living to talk about the story and try and figure out why we love slashers so much. And we'll hear from some of you in a brand new segment. But first, Turn off the lights, find a safe hiding space, and fall in to haunting season. Mike's parents' marriage fell apart at the end of his senior year. They escaped into work, and Mike escaped into horror movies. Armed with graduation cash, he paid nightly visits to Movie Choice, the only video store in his little Pennsylvania town, renting tapes to fuel all-night movie marathons. And that's how he discovered Cameraman. The video cassette called to him from across a sea of Halloweens, Friday the 13ths, and Maniac Cops, It was the only one in the store without box art housed in a generic cardboard sleeve. The title in block letters across the top in black marker. Congratulations, said Courtney, the owner's daughter, a year ahead of Mike in school. She had dyed green hair and made him nervous in the best way possible. Congratulations. You have the honor of being the first person to rent this masterpiece. Oh, you've seen it. The beginning of a smile appeared. I was just being... No, Mike, I haven't seen it. It could be Citizen Kane for all I know. Yeah, I've never seen Citizen Kane. Wow, Mr. Movie hasn't seen the greatest movie of all time? She let him him and haw for what felt like 20 minutes. I'm kidding! I haven't seen either of them. I've just been staring at this stupid box for the last three months. They talked about movies they had seen and wanted to see. It was Mike's longest conversation in weeks cut short by the arrival of three customers. Mike paid for his rental, putting his change in the collection jar for three children whose parents had died in a January house fire. After work rushes starting, 
Courtney said. You'll have to let me know what you think of cameraman. Mike promised he would. He walked out of the store, smiling, for one of the last times in his life. Walking home, he passed a trio of men he thought of as the tough boys. They were loitering on the corner across from the store most days and shouted at people that passed by. Moms with strollers, old men, and kids like Mike who tended towards jumpiness. Hey, sweetie, one of them called, affecting a lisp. What you got there, and some pornos? Mike walked in silence, his face burning. He wondered what they said to Courtney. He arrived at home to find a black van pulling away as he came down the street. Something about it nagged at him, but his train of thought was derailed by his dad coming down the steps. Oh, hey, he said, as if he was surprised to find his son at home. I'm headed in to get some extra work done. Do you need anything? Money for dinner? He fished some cash from his wallet. He'd been giving Mike random 20s for weeks. It, it's fine, Dad. We still have half a pizza. His dad nodded, started for the car, and, and then turned. You're doing okay, right? Oh, sure. I felt great ever since you started sleeping in your office and Mom started referring to you as your father instead of Dad. I'm fantastic. Those thoughts actually left his mouth as... Fine, Dad. Dad left with a nod and a weak smile, leaving Mike to his movies. He started with Love and 45, clearly imitating Pulp Fiction, a movie Mike had seen five times that winter. He had better luck with The Fly, which was gross, but also sad, seeing the scientist lose himself that way. After that, it was time for Cameraman. This is so cheap, Mike thought as the movie began. There were no credits or music, no FBI warning. Cameraman opened with a shot of a row house at night, blinking white Christmas lights lined the porch. The image was shaky and blurry. The film quality, the same as you'd get from an uncle documenting a family reunion. There was even a timestamp in the bottom left corner. 11.22 p.m., December 29th, 1994. The camera zoomed in on a second floor window where a woman with long, auburn hair stood applying face cream. It's mom, everyone, said a soft voice behind the camera. Say hi to mom. The same voice, an exaggerated whisper. The camera stayed on the woman as she looked out into the night. Now brushing her hair, the cameraman whispered, Hi, Mom. Over and over. In most slasher movies, the killer took their time, lumbering with confidence after campers or sorority sisters. The cameraman raced, walked back to the front of the house, thumping up the porch steps two at a time. He pushed his way into the house just as someone came to the door to investigate the noise. The cameraman used both arms to shove the door open. Mike figured the director must have mounted a camera on a helmet worn by the actor playing the killer. The man behind the door pinwheeled across the living room, diving face first into the Christmas tree, pulling it down with him as he tried to break his fall. His head collided with something, a wall, Mike thought, and he slumped to the floor. The woman from the window rushed down the steps and saw her husband's unconscious figure and then looked into the camera. No, 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 no. Cheap or not, this felt real. The actress sold her fear. 
Mike expected her to flee up the steps. Instead, she lunged toward the cameraman, knocking the cameraman off balance as she sprinted for the door. The camera shook as the cameraman went after her, grabbing the collar of her robe and yanking her to the floor. Gloved fists the size of footballs hammered the woman, who slapped at the cameraman with frantic, useless hands. The blows continued 15, and then 20, and then 30, until the woman was still. The room was silent, save for the cameraman's wheezing and Jay Leno's monologue on the TV in the background. The cameraman gripped the fallen Christmas tree by its trunk and dragged it across the room and onto the porch before hurling it out into the street. Merry Christmas to all, he shouted and hustled down the steps, moving at a brisk pace down the street. He walked for about a block before the screen went black. Mike waited for the opening title. Soon he'd meet the frustrated detective or outcast teenager who could be the movie's hero. The screen remained blank. Mike hit fast forward, finding only blackness. Just as he was about to eject the tape, the screen changed, a static shot of a sheet of paper on a dingy kitchen table. Cameraman 2. Available now. Big Diamond Video. Kirschville. Yuck! I need to wash my hands or my eyes or something. Courtney ejected the tape from the store's player. It's so weird, Mike said. I wonder who made it. It gets weirder. We have no record of this movie. It's not in our catalogs or the list of movies we've gotten from the distributor in the last year. So where did it come from? Courtney shrugged. The more important question is, is when do we leave for Kernville? We? Yeah, this is an actual mystery. How often does this stuff happen around here? Well... Never. Exactly. I'll drive. Courtney's shift ended at five that evening. Mike waited for her outside the store, nervous that the tough boys would appear. The cops just chased them off. Courtney emerged from the store, messenger bag slung over her shoulder. Those losers who yell stuff at people, they called me some pretty colorful names last summer until Keith showed up and put the fear of God in him. Keith? Keith Bershock, my boyfriend. He's in the Marines. Mike's stomach soured as he remembered Keith. A senior who subjected him to random, brutal arm punches when Mike was a sophomore. If they know you're with me, they won't mess with you anymore. Oh, uh, <laughs> thanks. Mike wanted to slink into the sewer, let the town's wastewater carry him out to sea. Courtney led him to her car, an olive boat of a Chevy. Kernville was two towns away, a 20-minute drive that Courtney shrank to 12. Maybe the tape is some kind of project, she said. I mean, I hope that's all it is. It might look real, but it's not, Mike said. People don't just film their crimes. They rode in silence to Kernville. Big Diamond Video sat at the end of the main drag. A black van pulled in behind them, quiet as a spider. The store took up two floors of an old brick building. Each section, new releases, comedy, horror, dwarfed the whole of movie choice back home. God, this place could put us out of business if it was any closer. Courtney said. Mike said nothing, marveling at the titles. M, Videodrome, The Thief of Baghdad he'd heard of but had yet to see. They found Cameraman 2 tucked away in the back of the horror section between Hellraisers 2 and 3. If that clerk comes back here, you're going to have to knock her out, Courtney said. Uh, I don't think we... Jesus, I'm kidding! Just look out for her, okay? Before Mike could ask what she meant, she tucked the tape, again in a plain cardboard sleeve, into her bag. Not finding anything? 
The clerk asked as they headed for the door. Her name tag identified her as Renee. There's too many choices, Courtney said. We're going to go to dinner and then come back and try and decide. A flyer taped to the counter caught Mike's eye. Justice for Janine Rally, April 29th, 6 p.m., Herwick Park. I keep meaning to take that down, Renee said. It's so sad. Who was Janine? Renee crossed herself. Janine Walker. Her husband beat her into a coma four days after Christmas, then tried to say it was a burglar. They say she'll probably never wake up. He shot himself before the DA could file charges. Mike's hands shook as he opened the car door. It could be a coincidence, Mike said. It was her, on the flyer. We need to tell someone. I don't know, that picture was blurry. Are you always this much of a coward? Mike's eyes stung and he looked out the window. He swallowed a few times before speaking. Look, let's just watch the tape before we decide what to do. Fine. Cameraman 2 opened like its predecessor. A shot of a house at night. Three children exited the front door wearing backpacks headed for a waiting car. It was January 12th, 1995, 5.49 p.m. Have fun at Nana's, a voice called from the house. The camera stayed on the house as the car drove away. The screen went black. I know this house, Courtney said. Oh, Jesus. The next shot showed the house a few hours later. All the lights extinguished. The cameraman crossed the street and climbed the front porch, fishing a key from inside the mailbox. The shot turned green. The camera switched to night vision as he led himself into the sleeping house. He crept through the living room and back to the kitchen, unscrewing the top of the smoke detector and unhooking its battery. Oh God, no, Courtney said. Mike's mind flashed the donation jar on the video store counter. The cameraman crept back into the living room where he found an electric heater resting near the couch. He moved it across the room, setting it near the front window curtains and switched it on. He returned to his vehicle, a black van, calm as a surgeon, and hit the ignition. Mike and Courtney heard the familiar jingle for the local Top 40 station. Three minutes passed. The curtains began to smoke. Two minutes later, flames had swallowed the fabric and started up the walls. A car door slammed, not on the video, outside. The movie cut to black, then the same pockmarked table from the first film, the cameraman is here. The front door rattled, a heavy boot slamming against it over and over. Mike closed his eyes. Run, he told Courtney. Head out the back, the police station is three blocks away. I think I can take him. Mike, you can't. I'm, I'm kidding, he said with a sad smile. Courtney hesitated long enough for a pylon of an arm to pierce the wooden door, then nodded and raced for the rear of the house. The man who burst through the door had to duck to clear the frame, a living mountain in gray overalls, he looked down at Mike with a single red eye. He's a camera, Mike's mind shrieked. The top of his head was a perfect square of black plastic and metal, a lens jutting out of a space where his eye would be. A mess of wires and buttons covered half his face, but not his awful mouth, filled with babyish grinning gray teeth. His hand sprang forward and clamped onto Mike's neck. Mike's vision went smoky. He heard a clink as Courtney cleared the fence and sprinted down the street, and the last thing he saw before he passed out was a red light blinking from a hole in the living room wall. A tiny camera installed, who knows when, watching him as he watched the tapes.
What the hell is this tape? Wayne Bell looked up from the counter at Twin Cities Video to Jerry, the owner, holding up an unmarked video cassette. We're in trouble, Wayne. Did you see the news today? These DVD things are gonna kill us if we don't get smart. We can't afford to have these blank tapes out on display. No idea where that came from, boss, Wayne said, but I'll take care of it. It almost ended there, with Wayne tossing the tape into the recycling bin. But just before closing, his curiosity took over, and he popped the tape into the store's player. Wayne found himself watching a teenager in another video store, picking up a tape, taking it to the counter. The footage was black and white, shot from above like a security camera. The next scene, shot from a moving vehicle, showed the boy walking past a group of men who yelled something at him. The footage bore a timestamp, 4.43 p.m., June 29th, 1995. What is this? Wayne muttered. It seemed so cheap. We had to keep watching. Today's episode is brought to you by Mixtape Massacre, the 1980s-styled slasher-killer board game. Cody and I got the game a few weeks ago and loved it so much we decided to play it every couple of weeks with the Haunting Season crew. You can have up to six players, each one some sort of paranormal slasher monster type creature with a cool origin story and great character design. You take turns roaming the town, racking up kills and collecting trophies like severed hands, teeth, and eyeballs, and try to come out either with the most kills or be the last surviving. It takes about 15 minutes to learn and about 90 minutes to play with six people. You can check it out at hauntingseasonpod.com slash mixtape. And if you want to buy the game, we'll offer you 10% off, which is more than 0%. So why not? It's a cool game. And right now it's my favorite game. You should at least check it out. Good evening, world, and welcome to The Office, our palate cleansing segment that helps you shake off the scary if you listen to this episode too late at night. Tonight, I'm joined by a friend of the show, Cody of the Living. Hey, Cody. Hello. How you doing, man? It's been a little while. It's been it's been a, it's been a minute. I've uh, been doing really, really well, enjoying the summer months and uh, enjoying uh, life uh, for the most part. Yeah. How are, how are you doing? Great things to enjoy. Um, I'm doing well. I'm enjoying life and summer is is here. I'm not a summer person. I'm a winter and fall person. So I'm sure. just sweating. So this story, um, I was explaining right before we started recording, I, I took this horror writing class. I've talked about it a couple of times on the show. And um, I met some people through it. And I, I started running through the little community that we built there. Um, with these writers submissions for haunting season just to see what would happen I got this story of the cameraman and I thought it was so cool I had to share it on the show it's very nostalgic because uh, one it takes place in the 90s now, I graduated in 96 uh, high school in 96 and like you know the setting and everything is like so perfect and I was immediately like taken in because we had like where I grew up just down the street an independent uh, video store, which is something I miss dearly is like, did you ever have like an independent video store in your neighborhood or were they already all blockbusters and Hollywood videos by that time? No, we had them. We had easy video. It was the greatest 
the little store right next to a pizza shop right across the highway. Uh, we lived on a highway. But right across the highway, easy video, and they had the genuine stickers on the boxes, and they had like all the obscure stuff, all the indie titles. Absolutely. And you got to know the owners and everything like that. And so, or like in this case where it was like the daughter, but I never got to know any sort of daughter. I just knew the owner of the place, and I, I was able yeah, to stay like- Stay away rent. from the daughter. Stay away? Well, I don't Jeez. know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I knew the owner, and I was allowed to rent our movies, and then he was eventually bought out by a, a corp- corporation. But yeah. there was this rumor, like like urban like legend, that the reason he was he sold it was because he was put in jail because there was an adult section in the back that you needed a key to go into. A key um, usually it's just beads. <laughs> yeah, or a curtain or like some sort of like little door or whatever, but you needed yeah, like, like keys doors. to go. And then who like I don't want to go off topic, but who would like go and say, "Excuse me, hey Tony, can I get the keys for the Oh, sure. Here you go, Bob." Uh, that'd yeah, be sure. kind and of it's attached to like a spare like... tire or a hubcap or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you're jingling and jangling and everyone in the store probably knows like, "Oh, he's going to the, you know, the adult section, the porn so, palace. Uh, anyways, the the story goes: the reason why he had to sell it was because uh, there was an adult movie that was homemade, and at the very end, this husband kills his wife, and so he had put it out there, but he didn't know he had. Oh, yeah, you know, he doesn't watch the movies; he only distributes them. Uh, right, right. But and then right, so then it became like, oh man, what the heck? Did you ever watch? You know, and then it became like face. He had faces of death. That's like real people dying and all this kind of... So with this uh, short story, I was brought back immediately to that that time. And also, our video store was right next to a pizza joint where all the older kids hung out and smoked cigarettes and like stole your, you know, tokens and quarters from the video games. And there were bullies. And so Mm -hmm. like that walk... You know, because sometimes I'd walk up to the store. Sometimes I was there with my parents, but for the most part, it was like, "Oh, I've got to cross these bullies," or you know, "I'm going to have to face these." Oh, wow! So you this know, story jerks. is very relevant to your personal yeah. life. It was great. It was great. Wow. You know, I got to tell you, um, if you're ever in Houston, don't go in any video stores because I had an experience the other day. I kind of posted a little bit on TikTok, but um, I was looking I had So I was in San Francisco and, on a trip, on a work trip, and I stumbled across a VHS store that had like some titles and I went in and I bought some stuff and I was like, this is fun. I'm going to start doing this everywhere I go. And so in Houston, I Googled some places and there were a whole bunch of 24-7 video. And I was like, oh, this is great. Got the whole crew in the car we're going to dinner i'm like guys i just gotta pop in this one place and we show up and there's a lot of cars in the parking lot a lot of big pickup trucks and we're like wow this is an incredibly popular video store and you can see through the front window that there are vhs tapes and we're like this is wild this is like we're stepping back in time so i started recording a little tiktok and i was like yeah we're in houston i'm taking a risk and we walk in and it is the most disgusting smell I've ever heard in my entire life, or smelled in my entire life. <laughs> it's the most that's, disgusting that's smell I ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> and um, just like people had been smoking in there for decades, and all the tapes are like weird knockoffs of Porky Pig, and they're faded from the sun almost so that you can't even see what they are. And then I take a look, and the only door once you're inside says over 18 only stop with a big stop sign. And then just over the wall, 
you could just see a line of the largest dildos I have ever seen oh, in my entire boy. life. And we ran. We literally ran to the car. We were, we were terrified. <laughs> because it was like a uh, warehouse size. Oh, my place. gosh. I don't know what happens back there. There were lots of noises and smells happening. Um, well, that's, a, that's a story for another time. Uh, I've it's got story, several yeah. growing up in yeah. <laughs> Of those kind of video stores where it's like, whoops, what did I just walk into? Oh, my goodness. Well, um, this story was submitted. So I had the the submission posting that I put out was a vintage slasher. And this was handed back to me as a submission before I even knew about Fear Street. And now Fear Street 1994 has come out. At the time of recording this, Fear Street 1978 has come out. And we're waiting for 1666 on Friday. Um, and it's just such interesting timing because the first one takes place in the 1994 yeah. and, uh, involves a slasher killer or 12. Yeah. So, uh, so thank you to Tom <laughs> Coombe again for writing this story for the show. And, um, yeah, I guess, did, did we already talk about what, what you liked about the story? What stood out? I know how it compares to your personal life. Well, I think like also the, the characters and just that, like, the guy we get to know is like obviously celebrating or wants to celebrate. Like he's just graduated from high school. He's going through a really tough time with this divorce and his parents being uh, like the one sleeping in the office. And also the dad's trying to do his best to make sure, but also like very like not, not enough. Like where it's just asking, so you're okay, son. Here's a twenty dollar bill. No, I got I got pizza, and so he's just like completely into movies, and and that's got to be like you know at, at that time, like you're, let's say you're eighteen years old, and I'm sure this divorce was quite a struggle for quite a while, and he had to watch his uh, parents, you know, relationship completely fall apart to where they're now going to be uh, divorced. Um, and his just wanting to soak in horror flicks and also film, I I was like, oh man, this is really this is great. And then I also kind of fell in love with the character that he falls in love with. I think her name's Courtney, who Courtney, works yeah. at the video store, and she knows like every single movie. And she's also like, you know, seems kind of cool because she's got dyed green hair and she's hip and she's a little bit older. And then we're crushed and devastated by the fact that she's got a marine boyfriend who <laughs> which is not you know. a good fit it's not a good fit it's not gonna work out like right. i'm Absolutely. sure he's nice but she's a little bit you know yeah. rebellious and has a you know you know it's just not a good fit but yeah I, I i loved also but i was confused by the what the hell the cameraman is is it a robot oh i didn't even think about like cyborg robot relations um i i think he yeah, I'm, I'm curious to know what his origin story is. So the, the description of him is that his head is literally a camera. His brain's not the videotape. We know that because the videotape is going into these stores. And, um, you can and he drives them. a van. And he drives a van. And no one with a videotape for a brain would be driving a van. <laughs> no's <laughs> reverse from drive or neutral from second. Yeah, so yeah. So, it, like... Is it Terminator-esque where it's like half man, half machine or, you know? He's got to be some kind of scientific creation, right? This doesn't happen in nature. Um, it's not some sort of mutation that could have happened. Right. And he wears overalls. 
which is yeah. also like uh, you know like who's who's putting who's clothing this person or this thing if it is a Probably robot me. maybe it's like under like <laughs> i'm literally wearing overalls all day today <laughs> yeah well if it was me he'd be wearing a barrel <laughs> it's just i'm i want to bring back the barrel why don't people wear barrels anymore they're very similar uh, to overalls <laughs> very they're they're yeah they're an advanced uh barrel you get the straps and you get the freedom <laughs> uh yeah so he's got to yeah. be some sort of like frankenstein creation right like uh, maybe he was in a car accident and the um you know oh i got it so you know how there's those um those guys who chase the news and they're not paparazzi, but they're like uh, the night hawks, you know, and they, they show up to like the burning building and get the footage and sell it to the news. So he's one of those guys. He gets in a car accident, a terrible accident with his camera and it fuses to his head and it's impossible for them to remove it, but it's also damaged his one eye. And so they turn his... uh the lens of the camera into his eye. And so while he can see through this thing, he can also videotape everything he sees. So then he becomes like a mass murderer. And then, well, yeah, cause he's pissed. And then how many, like how many videos does he have? He just distributes one. Well, that's the thing. So I think Mike is the beginning of the story because he started videotaping his crimes, but now he's turned it into a film by videotaping Mike watching his films and videotaping himself killing Mike. So therefore, Mike is the beginning of the story. And when this guy at the end, whatever this jerk's name is, Wayne. Um, yeah, who's at the, the mega store. Yeah, he, he almost tosses it in the recycle bin. But just before closing, his curiosity took over and he popped the tape into the store's player and he starts watching Mike's journey and therefore becomes a part of the journey. He's and next. then, right. And then, so then I, I wonder about the, the two previous, uh, you know, people who were, who were killed. Did they watch some other movie or were they just randos? Like they were just randomly picked out of a hat. Like, Oh you know, or yeah, were they know. watching some sort of like the the person who was burned in the house? The parents did they watch something? Then like, how many other movies does he have out where he's like, "Holy sh! I've got so much work to do today. I've got to go follow Mike. I got to go follow this. I got to burn down a house today. Oh boy, I'm swamped." So the first one starts with him. Hi, mom. Hi, mom. Right. Maybe that's his mother. He's coming back for revenge. Maybe the reason he had to work this dead end job, which is part of the story that I totally made up and isn't in the story. Um, but maybe the reason he's working this dead end cameraman job is because his mom forced him out of the house a little bit too young or, or, you know, he's got some grudge against mom. And so he goes in to kill her in the process, maybe kills dad. We don't really know. Right. He just, takes Oh no, no, he, but didn't, didn't kill him because uh, it's he ends it up killing later. himself. Yeah, well, yeah, the, the, and then the story is that he's the one who killed the killed wife, the or put her in a coma, right? But mm. wouldn't there be some sort of recognition, like, uh, like the lady would say, like, Daryl, how, what are you doing here? Well, she does say no. Oh, no, no, no. Like. And, and Mike says he was assuming that she would run upstairs to run away, which is what would happen in the horror movies. But she runs towards him, which is maybe and what tries you do to, to someone you know. Yeah. Interesting. I never, I never, I, I have, I'm, yeah, now it's opening up a whole, whole new door. I know. 
But then what's the second one? He gets the taste for blood, or is that like his aunt? Yeah, with the, the he lets the kids go and then burns down the house, right? Yeah, so something maybe maybe he's got something maybe his relationship with his mom has caused this need to like kill moms, but then he goes after Mike for watching the film. And then now he's obviously going after this uh guy who's going to start watching, you know, the movie again. Yeah, and it becomes a, a like the ring sort of situation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I I love like the moment where he punches through the door and enters the room and the description of him being like having to duck underneath. I just imagine this like gigantic thing. And then you have the horrific moment of there's technology built into this guy's head and face. Uh, That for me just felt like really scary. It made me want to like an action figure of this guy. I want to write a movie and like produce a movie about this guy. I just think it's such a fascinating character. Absolutely. And then I wonder what he sounds like, you know, cause he does like the whole thing where he, he, he says, hi mom, hi mom, hi mom. And he has a description of the mouth and like the, the teeth being very like baby like. Um, oh, and then yeah. he goes out and he says like, Merry Christmas, everyone. And I wonder what his voice, like what, like, you know, that was one of the things I was thinking about afterwards was like, what does this guy sound like? Do you think it kind of warbles like old VHS tapes where the music kind of like, that'd be cool. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But he's, you know, he's obviously got some sort of way he can yell. If he yells like Merry Christmas, everyone. I wonder if it's like real, like robotic or if it's just like a childlike scream or like you're saying. Yeah, or it's, maxes I, out, you know, and just gets crackly and like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this kind of brings me to my big question for this week. But before we get to that, here's a word from one of our sponsors. Memento Mori is the premier oddities and curiosities shop located in Los Angeles. Visit us at 1507 Wilcox Avenue at Sunset Boulevard in the heart of Hollywood, Fridays through Sundays, 11 to 6 p.m. Or shop online at www.mementomori-la.com. Cody, I want to know why we love these slasher killers so much. What is it about them that makes us want to buy a figurine of them or a poster or watch the films and cheer for them to get tattoos of them? Isn't that a little odd? I want to start by hearing what you have to say. And then I have a few responses from some friends of the show on that app. Hi, ho is telling you about, I, you know, I'm not a psychologist. It would be interesting to talk to like a real psychologist and find out why, like collectively there, there are a group of people that like, you know, slashers and, uh, you know, vil- supposed villains. I, I just speaking from my perspective and from where I'm at, um, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that's a nightmare. Like, that's just like something where it's like, oh, I made a wrong turn. And then now I'm in a really bad situation with a really bad group of people. Mm-hmm. And it's something that you'd want to get out of. But when it comes to like the big, I think the big three, Jason, Freddie, and I'll even go Mike Myers is like Jason drowned. Like there were kids who were smoking dope and were trying to get, you know, laid and Mm -hmm. this poor kid drowned on their watch. And then his mom comes out and is like, 
you sons of bitches, I'm coming for you. And then he, they kill his mom. And then he's like, now you killed my mom. You killed me and you killed my mom. Now I'm coming for you. And then you think about these teens and they're like, you know, good looking. They're, they're, uh, they're hip. They're cool. You know, as a kid who grew up in that era, like those were the kids that were like the, the bullies at the, at the video store, at the pizza shop. It was mm-hmm. like, I don't like these people. And I know that Jason like turns his back on kids. Like he won't hurt little kids. So being a little kid, it was like, yeah, screw you. <laughs> you know, this is your comeuppance. <laughs> this is, this is what you deserve. This is what you deserve. And same with like Freddie, where I think it's like almost like a class kind of thing mm. because, uh, Freddy Krueger was a supposed what pedophile? Um, well, but at the I don't time, think I don't know if he was a pedophile because Courtney and I just watched the first one again, uh, first time for her, which was we're doing a whole episode on it, um, but we'll get there. Um, but they he killed kids, he killed little kids, but they they never mention anything about him sexually abusing them. Okay. Well, I want to give Freddie the credit he deserves. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, <laughs> we don't want we don't want Freddie canceled. Although he recanceled, he was canceled in the eighties, and now we don't want him canceled again. Uh, the tongue through the phone thing was pretty bad. I I mean I, that was great visual effects. I thought it was like <laughs> yeah. pretty cool. But the thing about like Freddie was like in the eighties there was like so much of like this this uh, parental discretion and like these middle class upper middle class people saying like oh this music is too too dark it's too evil these movies are too bad you know and like movies were banned all over the place and satanic panic satanic and like in england they called them uh video nasties and you know there were just all these like this war on you know, like the Tipper Gore and all that kind of stuff of like Ozzy Osbourne caused my son to commit suicide. And there was just like this, a total attack on anything that was like really good, like heavy metal and horror movies. Um, and so like with Freddie, he was killed by parents were like, Oh, he's corrupting our kids. We will be the judge and jury. And we are throwing him into a furnace and we're going to burn him alive. <laughs> and then now he's like, screw you. I'm coming after your kids who are going to be just as bad as you are one day. And you're going to be left tortured. And I'm coming out, you know, for revenge because then, you know, their kids, if they would have lived, would have turned into jerks anyways. Yeah. So that's why I always like, kind of like Freddie was, I was like, hey, you know, he didn't really get a proper, you know, court case. And then Mike Myers, who knows what his deal was, but we know he's a killing machine. But what's, what's the backstory, Michael? He killed his parents. He killed his mom. And then yeah, he got he put killed, in a psych ward for killed his sister. Yeah. Until Halloween. And, yeah. And Donald Pleasance <laughs> was like, he's a killing machine. And John Carpenter did a brilliant, you know, thing where he was just like, I don't want to have any sort of understanding or any sort of breakdown of this character. I just want him to be, downright evil and then you know rob zombie tried to make him into a human and john carpenter was like boring don't humanize him that was the that was the great thing about him was it was like you know he's just a killing machine but there's also about like race class and all this kind of stuff that goes into some of these like the big slashers i would say like freddie and jason um Mm -hmm. 
And so, like, that, I mean, that's why I like them. Is it seems like they're the underdogs, and that's why. Yeah, well, I kinda, also Candyman, right? Shocker was another one where he was wrongly like you know put in the the I think the chair. And then now he like comes through electricity. Victor Crowley in Hatchet. I just watched that one a couple, maybe like two months ago. But uh, he he died a horrific death, and his ghost got trapped, stuck in that moment of burning to death. Um, and so he comes back, and he's just like literally on fire with anger, <laughs> killing everything in his wake because he's trapped in this death moment for all of eternity. Child's play. What he gets trapped in a doll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a serial killer trapped in a doll. You know, I've never seen it. Yeah. You've never seen that one? Oh, my God. No. It's hilarious. It's and there's so, so fun. much now. There's a TV show coming out. Or <laughs> there's a cartoon. Or there's, there's a, a new serial. Aubrey Plaza did one. <laughs> yeah. There's a video game. There's a wife. There's a bride. There's a son. There's a seed. <laughs> but is there a podcast? Is there a podcast? I, I guarantee there's more I, than one. Yeah, there's one where they just talk about child's play all day. Uh, so what do you think? I mean, like what you've, I've seen your dolls or your statues and they're brilliant. They're gorgeous. Um, yeah, well, I'm the, I'm the one asking the question for a reason. Like I, I'm not certain I know why I like them so much because they stand for everything I hate in this world, which is like anger, revenge, you know, hurting people. I'm just someone who wants to always put love and appreciation in the world and understanding. Um, and maybe, maybe that's why. I like the slashers because I'm like, oh, let me understand you, buddy. What's wrong? Why are you killing so much? What got, what's got you down, Victor? Um, <laughs> that would be great. So if like Freddie comes with his uh, tongue phone, you'd be like, let me hold that. Let me embrace that tongue. Let me. Maybe not. What, the what are you trying to communicate? What are you trying to communicate to me, Freddie, right now? Come here. Come into my room. You don't have yeah. to come through the phone. My door is wide open. Let's have a moment. So we have some through this awesome new app called Hi Ho that I'm on. It's basically like sending personal video messages back and forth. And it's kind of a little bit like Reddit where uh, it creates a thread that's really easy to navigate with all the responses from people. Um, I got some responses this week from early adapters and friends of the show. So I want to play some of those clips and then uh, and then we'll close out the show. Thanks for being on, Cody. I really appreciate it. Oh, man, it's good to see you again and good to be back on the back in the saddle back on the show for me i think it's kind of a combination of a power dynamic and looking at the dark side of humanity Um, as horror fans we tend to love serial killers true crime podcasts are a big deal Um, we all kind of have our favorite serial killer as odd as that is to say And to me, what it comes down to is seeing that humanity in the slashers, but then also oftentimes with Freddy, Jason, um, you know, even Leatherface to some extent, there is this mystique about them, this immortality to them, that they can go on these rampage, they can indulge in the darkness fully, and there's not often any sort of retribution. So what I'm getting at here is I think When we look at those slasher movies, we see a lot of our darkness inside them. Uh, We can connect with that darkness. It's something we all want to attach or latch onto. And then it evolves even further in that immortality or that power behind that movie or that slasher. They can get away with it. Jay Rich here, friend of the show. 
A little awkward to answer this question because I don't personally idolize slashers. I mean, I don't have Freddy Krueger memorabilia, but if I had to psychoanalyze why some people do idolize slashers, I would say it would come from the joy of seeing action in a world of stagnation. That or it's just fun to idolize characters who clearly, well, I mean, they do, they care, they're passionate, but also in so many ways, they just don't give a fuck. Action in a time of stagnation resonates because Fear Street's out right now. And uh, here we are with these new slasher films that really feel exciting and new and uh we've been home for a year and a half and so we're watching like oh well i <laughs> haven't been to the mall in a year so i'm not gonna get slashed or i don't go to summer camp it's really interesting but also i'm realizing now it's uh it's the mystery the mystery an unsolvable mystery because here's something you don't see every day here's the paranormal slasher the someone who uh feels the need to go out and kill kids with their you know various different weapons and they can come back multiple times how do we solve this mystery it's unlike anything i've ever seen before which makes it really cool which makes it really exciting hey josh my name is meredith and this is such a great question i am a huge uh Jason Voorhees fan. I have a tattoo of Jason on my leg and plenty of action figures and posters. Um, not just him, <clears throat> also Freddy, uh, Chucky, all of, <laughs> all of the key players are here. And for me, I think it's just because they are so fun. <laughs> um, sometimes it's just fun to watch the bad guy kill people. And these protagonists aren't always you know, people you like rooting for, you know, we're talking about like corny teenagers sometimes or people just making bad decisions or being selfish. So it's fun to root for the bad guy, uh, especially when they're doing uh, creative kills. Um, uh, I don't think it's because there's something secret, dark inside of me uh, that, uh, that honors them. <laughs> it's just more an appreciation of, of all the chaos and fun. <laughs> It is. It's fun. And I think for me, uh, the idea of the paranormal slasher is the most appealing because you know they're going to come back. You know, uh, Jason Voorhees and Victor Crowley, like you, you know that they can come back infinite times and you know that their legend can continue on forever. And that makes it so much more fun. And it's not really about whether the kids have good decision-making skills or are two-dimensional or just kind of bad people or are fornicators. None of that really matters because uh, there's no escaping. There's no escaping. And the idea that we've set up with movies like um, Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, the survivor girl might survive one, but she not might not survive two, or she might not survive three. You know, maybe there's a different survivor. Um, and so we don't necessarily latch on to those people because we know that they're short for this world. Hey, Josh, Joe Dove from the Dis Dungeon Podcast here. You know, that's a great question. Why do we idolize these slasher movies? Well, I gotta tell you, there's two reasons. The first, you know, a big fan of physical media. I actually went back and watched Nightmare on Elm Street 3, one of my two favorites from the series. And we have a macabre sense of daring to dance down dark doorways, wondering what's waiting for us in these corners could it be a slasher that's behind us and when i say what's waiting for us i mean we often put ourselves in the shoes of the protagonist we live vicariously through these heroes and heroines wondering do i have the bravado to survive do i have the courage and the wits 
to get out of these situations? Some of us do. Some of us can. Me? I'm too old. But my young friends, they can get through. I think you can get through, Josh. The other thing is some of our more darker friends, some of us that spend a little bit too much time pondering the other side of the psyche, put ourselves in the roles of the slasher. And those folks, we should watch out for. Joe, I love this dungeon. I think you're really onto something here. It's the exploring the unknown, exploring the dark in a safe way. It's why I love horror movies in general, because here is this dark mystery. Here is this evil thing. And uh, I would love to know everything I can about it because I'm fascinated, but I'm not, I don't, I don't want to be the person to do it in person. I don't, I don't, I don't want to be killed. But I'll gladly watch someone else get killed in a, in a fictional way so that I can know more. Or I'll gladly, um, you know, when it comes to the real, you know, the real life killers, I'll, I'll gladly hear the story of the person who went through that tragedy in order to try and find the truth behind why it happened. So that maybe if there's a threat of it ever happening to me, I can avoid it. Um, or or help somebody else and, and keep an eye out for the clues. So I think with killers in general, there's this fascination because it didn't happen to me, but what if it did? What if it did? And the darkness and the mystery of the dark is very enticing when it's on the other side of a screen. Well, listener, if you want to put your voice on the show, download the HiHo app for free. There's no ads, no hidden fees. It's just an app that launched recently that I think is pretty cool and allows us to have conversations through video messaging about stuff we're interested in. I'm posting once a week and using the replies in the show. I'd love to hear from you. And if you don't want to do video, just block out your face and send some audio while I look at your ceiling or a black void or something. That's it for today's show. Stay tuned after the credits for how you can get more involved with Haunting Season. Haunting Season is written and created by Joshua Sterling Bragg and is a joint production of Mac Yellen and Believe Limited. Today's story was written by Tom Coombe, and you can find his work in the links below or by going to tomcoombe.com or finding Calm Tomb on Twitter. That's pretty clever. This episode was executive produced by Mac Yellen, Ryan Gillen, and Patrick James Lynch with creative support from Cody Dugan, Jessica Richmond, Mel Forrest, and my wife, Courtney Barber. Haunting Season's editor is Colby Crow, and she uses music made for the show by North Innsbruck. You can find different content from Haunting Season on all of our platforms. YouTube has scary stories. Instagram has the spooky photos and updates. TikTok has movie reviews, urban legends, haunts, and lore. And we're now on the app Hi-Ho, where you can contribute to the podcast with your voice and your video to hop into the conversation yourself and get personal replies from Josh through video as well. Have something to send Josh yourself? Well, We've got a P.O. box now. Send anything cursed, weird, horror-related, or just a nice note to brighten this day. P.O. Box 9681, Glendale, California, 91226. Thanks for listening, friends, and remember, we're more likely to survive if we stick together. I'll see you next time. <laughs>